We're going to be looking at finishing the chapter tonight, beginning in verse 12, and we're going to go all the way to uh, verse 30, so Philippians 2, verse 12 through 30, and when you're there, let's pray and let's uh, see what the Lord will have for us. Father, thanks so much for this evening, Lord, and the chance to worship you. Lord, we um, pray that you would continue the work that you began in us. Lord, we know that daily you are changing us and transforming us into the image of your son. And, and so, Lord, we pray that we would partner with you, Lord, in, in that work. And, Lord, seeking, Lord, that you might do, Lord, Lord, the greatest work possible, Lord, that we would in no way hinder that work. And so, Lord, we know that your word is, is a way that you sanctify us, Lord, as you say in, in your prayer to your Father. Your word is truth and it sanctifies us. And so, Lord, we pray that it would have its perfect way with us tonight. As we spend time with you, Lord, that you would shape us and mold us into the image of Jesus. And so, Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, are you a person who made a New Year's resolution? If so, well, how's it going? Most of us have already given up, right? I can't even remember if I even made a New Year's resolution. That's, that's how bad it is. If, if I even made one in the first place. So I was trying to think. I was like, did I make one? I don't think I did. So maybe I made a New Year's, a New Year's resolution not to make one this year. But Now, New Year's resolutions came to my mind while reading this text because Paul encouraged these believers in verse 12 to continue to work out their salvation. Now, in order to continue to encourage them to work out their salvation, not give up. Paul, a seasoned spiritual bodybuilder, teaches these believers four truths about working out their salvation. As we work through this text tonight, we'll kind of learn these truths from Paul and how he wants to encourage us in our life in Christ because God does want us to work out our salvation. And we're gonna learn what that means and, and, and how we uh, go about doing that without hindering the great work that God wants to do both in and through us. And so the first thing that we learn from Paul tonight is in verses 12 through 13, we learn that we're to work out because it is God who works both in us and through us. Look at verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So Paul begins this with his basis for his encouragement he says the word therefore, and the word therefore links what he's saying now to what he just got done saying in verses five through 11. He talked about Jesus and how Jesus was with the Father in heaven. He's always existed as God, the second person of the Trinity. And Jesus was willing to set aside his, his prerogatives or his rights as um, God and take up a, a human body and come as a man, to live as the God man and to be surrendered to the Father, to live a life of humility and even go to the cross and die for our sins. And so after Paul points you know, to that example, he now encourages us to follow his example by living humbly and submitted to God. And that's what the Lord wants. He wants our hearts. He wants our lives. And we see that throughout the Gospels. You see, the Pharisees, they knew a lot about the Bible. I mean, they had the scriptures memorized. I mean, from age 12, these guys would start memorizing the scriptures. And most of them would memorize the whole book of Psalms, even the whole Torah. But yet, their hearts were not willing to submit to the Lord. When these wise men came to Jerusalem, they were looking for the king. They said, hey, where is he? And they said, well, we can quote that scripture, Micah 5 too. He was born in Bethlehem in Judea, right? For thus is written by the prophets. But they weren't willing to submit and go and see if he was actually there or not. 
And that's what the Lord wants from us. He wants us to submit to him. He wants us to submit to his word. Also, Paul goes on and calls these believers beloved. The word beloved means loved ones. Paul loved these believers, plain and simple. And he wanted the best for them. And the best for them was to grow in God's grace. And that's the best for us. The Lord wants the best for us. Sometimes it seems like the Lord is trying to hinder the best for us. Sometimes in our flesh we think that, but, it's, but he's not. He's protecting us and he wants us to grow by following his word. Now Paul goes for the encouragement. He said, while he was with them in Philippi, they were very careful, even when they faced opposition, to obey God's word and live out their Christian faith. Now he says, since he's now absent from them, they were to make an even greater effort to work out their salvation, to live out their faith. Now here's a quick side note right here to see if you're growing in working out your salvation. These believers had great results, right, when they first got saved. Now Paul says they should have a greater result now that he's apart from them. And it kind of just reminds us of the fact that the believer is to, away from church, away from believers, have great results also. Paul says, hey man, when I was with you guys, you guys were stirred up and encouraged, and you guys were really going for it. But now since I'm gone, now you know, since I'm in, I'm in Rome, I'm in locked up, I'm in jail for the, for the gospel, and you guys are in Philippi, you guys should make an even greater effort now that I'm not with you to live out your faith. And for Christians, that's a sign of, of growth, that we're the same person away from church as we are at church. You know, I, I work in the world, and, you know, and, and some, it's sad to see believers who claim to be believers, but yet, you know, sometimes in the world, they don't really bear the characteristics of walking as a believer. You, you know, you hear things like, Ugh, you know, kind of thing. You're like, okay, I'm just going to ignore that. Now, yes, Christians, we can't mess up. I mean, I'm not saying that we're perfect or anything like that. Christians can have bad days, you know, but, you know, we need to make sure that we're living out our faith, and representing Christ. We should be the same person away from church as we are when we're at church. You know, we should have the same attitude, same behavior. And that's what Paul wanted for these believers. Even in the midst of craziness, the craziness of Philippi, a Roman city, they were to still be growing. They were to make an every effort to do so. Now, what does it mean really to work out your salvation? Often people who try to add works to salvation to say, well, no, you need to do this and this and this and this in order to be saved, they often will say, well, Paul's talking about working for your salvation. So they start saying, no, Paul's saying work for your salvation. But that's not what he's saying at all. Paul's, Paul's saying work out your salvation. Remember, these believers were in Christ already. And Paul in chapter one was very confident that God who began a good work in them would complete it. And so if salvation was all based upon your works and your own behavior and effort, well, then Paul couldn't have confidence in the fact that God would complete that work. But since our salvation from start to finish is based on God and his grace, we can have joy, we can have confidence that God who began this work will complete it. The word work out actually uh, means to work to full completion. And that's what it means, to work to full completion. And this word carries the idea of a farmer working his field to get the great um, harvest possible, or a miner who works his mind to get the greatest ore possible. As I said, Paul was a Minecraft guy, right? You know, he's in there getting his ore and stuff like that, you know? Working his field, you know, working his mind to get the greatest ore possible. In the same way, these believers, they were to live out their faith in Christ. They were to go for it. They were to live all out, to, to experience all that God had for them in their Christian life. 
They were to go all out to reach their full potential in their Christian faith because God wanted to do some awesome things to them and he didn't want them to hold back in any way. They were transformed from the beginning. I mean, they went from darkness to light, from pagan Gentiles to believers now representing the Lord. They were delivered from sin. They were understanding God's word. They were growing in good works. They were lights in the community. They were producing fruit. And Paul says, why give up now? Right, why settle now? Why stop now? Well, let's continue on. Don't make this seem like a New Year's resolution where you start strong, but then you kind of taper off and, and you need to be encouraged. Paul said, go for it. Continue on. And we're to do this with fear and trembling. We're to do this with fear and trembling. Now, what does that mean, fear and trembling? Well, it doesn't mean that you live your whole life worried about going to hell. If, if, if that's the case, and then you miss the grace of God altogether. The Bible says that God, if he's in us, we have the hope and the joy that he'll complete the work in us. The believer doesn't have to worry about going to hell because we're in Christ. He already paid the price for us. Fear and trembling means to recognize who God is who's working in your life and what he's trying to do through your life. I say that because look at verse 13. Paul goes on to explain it for us. He says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. That's why we fear and tremble because it's actually God who is in you who's working both to will and to do for his good pleasure. You see, the same God who was able to speak the universe into existence in six literal days is now the same God who lives in you because you're in Christ. Now for a Jew or for someone who grew up under the Old Testament, I think this would hit home stronger than us you know, as, as Christians. You see, because the Jew understand, uh, understood that in the Old Testament time, God's glory dwelt in the tabernacle, God's glory dwelt in, in the temple. And only once a year could the high priest go in, right, and offer that, that sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. They understood the, the, the greatness of God and the fact, that, you know, and has, you know, as he dwelt in, in the tabernacle. But when Christ died on the cross, what happened to the veil of the tabernacle is ripped from top to bottom, showing the holy place, the holy of holies where God dwelt, that you know, man no longer has to go through that veil. Now Paul says we're now temples of the Holy Spirit. And so that great God who the Jews you know, knew was holy now lives inside of us and he's seeking to work in us and through us. That same powerful God who was able to do amazing things throughout the Old Testament now lives inside of you and I. So we have some amazing work going on in us and God wants to work through us. So that's why we're, we're to live in awe and reverence because God is awesome. Now, the Bible Knowledge Commentary says that the word works is actually a verb that means to energize or to provide enablement. And so this great, awesome God who lives in us is now working in us to both energize us and to enable us. And that's exactly what Paul says here. You see, the desires that you have to grow don't come from yourself. They're coming from God who lives in you. You can't say, man, I'm so holy. I can't believe how holy I am. I'm so awesome, you know, kind of thing. It must be because I read my Bible a lot. No, well, it's because it's God who lives in you. He's changing you. He's giving you that desire. He's, he's convicting you of that sin. You, you, I know that for a fact because before we were Christians, we didn't have any of that, that desire, right? We were just sinners. And so, and so once God saved us and came in us, you know, he, he began giving us that desire to grow and to, and to change. And not only does he give us that desire, but he also gives us the power. His calling is, is also his enabling. 
what God puts on your heart to do, he'll also give you the work to do it. And so Paul says, be encouraged. Paul said, work out, because it's God who's the one in and through you. And talking about working out, God wants to pump you up kind of thing, right? That's what he wants to do. He, he wants to work in you. He wants to do something amazing. So kind of cheesy, I know, but I thought it was funny. That's the kind of thing to entertain me throughout the day, right? <laughs> second, I, I mean, I gotta have some fun here. Second, verses, uh, second in verse 14, we see a key, a key tip to the believer's workout. So Paul's gonna give us a key tip to working out. You know, people can work out and they can do all kinds of crazy stuff and take all kinds of crazy stuff, but sometimes these things only really hinder their progress, right? As they do all things all wonky, you know, and they all bad form and they take all kinds of stuff that's not approved by the FDA, which is really killing their heart. Well, Paul said in the same way, you can be living your Christian life, but you can be having wrong practices. In reality, they're only gonna hinder your Christian walk. And that's what he says here in verse 14. Do all things without complaining and disputing. And so you can live your Christian life but live in the flesh, but you're only hindering the work that God wants to do. Paul says, rather, you need to walk in the spirit. You need to do all things without complaining and disputing. Here, put it another way. Everything you do, do it without complaining and disputing. Everything? Yes, everything. Well, um, I mean, my ministry's at church, obviously, Sundays and Wednesdays. I can do those things without complaining and disputing. But then when I'm at a, when I'm at a church, you know, that's when I can really complain about stuff, right? Well, no, Paul says, everything you do, do it without complaining and disputing. Now, the word complaining actually describes doing things with a bad attitude. And Paul actually used this same word in 1 Corinthians 10, 10 to describe the bad attitudes of the Israelites when they left Egypt and wandered through the wilderness. Paul said, hey, let me give you guys an example from the Old Testament. Remember the children of Israel? and the bad attitudes they had, they were always complaining about stuff. That's what Paul's saying here. You see, God was trying to do some amazing stuff in their life. God wanted to do some amazing work in and through them. He was trying to fulfill the promises that he made to Abraham, but yet over and over and over and over, the children of Israel, they kept complaining. They kept you know, complaining against God, complaining against Moses. And actually, later on, because of their unbelief, they actually were actually hindering the work that God wanted to do in their life. So Paul said, beware of that. We're not to follow this bad model, this bad form, but rather we're to keep our eyes on Jesus and men like Paul, who remember, Paul was writing from prison, but yet he was writing a, an epistle which has been characterized by the epistle of joy. Paul knew the work that God was doing in his heart and his life. He didn't complain about it. He, he didn't complain about the Roman government. Oh yeah, I wouldn't be here if Rome wasn't in power kind of thing, you know, kind of thing, you know, but yet, you know, he was, he was joyful, you know, he was, he was excited about the work that God was doing in the household of Caesar and those different things. We're to follow his form and we're to follow the examples of Christ. We're to abide in Christ and as we do, we'll be filled with the Spirit. Listen to what Paul said in Ephesians 5, 18 through 21. In contrast to complaining, here's what Paul says we should do as believers. Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. And so the believer isn't to live in the flesh and, and be out getting drunk like the world and acting like the world in their attitude, but rather we're to be filled with the Spirit, we're to be controlled by the Spirit. He's to control our mind. 
our heart and our desires. And as we do, the Lord will actually fill us with these spiritual songs. He'll give us joy. He'll give us contentment. He'll give us humility. And this attitude will lead to unity and care for one another, not just ourselves. You see, in contrast to that, the Philippians, they were complaining. They were, they were starting to walk in the flesh. And as a result of that, disputes were starting to happen. Don't miss that word dispute there. Paul said, don't dispute. And this was exactly what was going on there. In Philippians 4, we're gonna learn about two women who were in dispute, um, Yoda and Syneke. And Paul in chapter four is gonna say, hey guys, help these women get along for the sake of the church, kind of thing. You know, and, and so... You know, this flesh behavior, I mean, even though God can do amazing things in the church and, and in their life, the flesh can begin to creep in and needs to be checked. We need to watch our form as we're working out our salvation, that we don't learn bad habits. Third, in verses 15 through 18, we see the importance of following Paul's workout tips. That you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And so these workout instructions were not only important for these believers and so they can grow in their relationship, but it was also important for their witness for the world around them. Whether they knew it or not, they were like a walking fitness blog kind of thing in a way. Everybody's watching them, man. Everybody's studying them and figuring out what they were doing as they were working out their salvation. As they were obeying God and his word, as their church was preaching the gospel, they were showing the world what it is to be blameless and harmless. They're, repre- they, you know, they're representing what it is to be a child of God. And this is what our world needs, especially in today's world. Our world needs a representative truth. We live in a crooked world, right? Our world is very crooked. I mean, the Supreme Court, it's, it's probably gonna be very crooked, you know? It's not a prophecy or anything like that. But, you know, it could be very crooked. We don't know, kind of thing. But some of the things that pass are very crooked. But you know what? God needs representative truth. And the only way that we can know truth is by knowing Jesus in his word. God says his word is truth, right? And also Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Also, we live in a dark world, a world which is surrounded by wickedness and depravity. Well, God is the light, the Bible says, Jesus is the light of the world. And as you and I abide in Christ, as we walk with the Lord and deny the flesh, we'll become reflectors of that light. We'll shine brightly what it is to walk in truth and to walk in joy and walk in holiness. Holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. And for the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. And so the key to remaining in a place where God can use our lives is by holding fast to his word of life. It's the word of God. And that's what Paul wanted the believers to do. He said, hey, focus on the word. Don't leave it. Don't go to the right hand or to the left, but hold fast to the word of life. And what a great encouragement that is over and over and over to us as believers. Don't leave God's word, right? It's our anchor. It's what keeps us straight. We don't follow people's opinions. We don't follow, you know, the different trends. We just want to study the Bible and see what God says and, and how it applies to our life. I love Paul's vision. Paul had something greater than 2020 vision. He had rapture vision. Notice that. Paul said, hey, 
I want you guys to hold fast to the word until the day of Christ, which means the rapture of the church. Paul didn't want to think, you know, far ahead in eternity, he just focused on the rapture. Hey, Jesus is coming back at any moment. And so, man, stand strong, stand strong. He wanted his service to be like a drink offering and specifically his service of encouraging them in their faith. This word service here in sacrifice actually has to do with a priestly service. And Paul, so Paul considered himself doing the work, you know, of, of encouraging them, of pouring out his life to encourage them, you know, to teach them so they can grow. And that was Paul's joy, that was Paul's desire to see these believers stand before the reward seat of Christ after the rapture and be rewarded. This was his joy and his desire. Now, fourth, in verses 19 through 30, we see three testimonies of believers that were working out their salvation. Often, you know, we see verses five through 11, we say, well, yeah, but that's Jesus. He's the God man. Obviously, he'll live in humility. Well, Paul says, let me show you three normal people who are following his example and to show you that you can also follow this, um, th- you know, his example as well. First is Timothy in verse 19. He says, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly that I may also, that uh, I also may be encouraged when I know of your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he serves with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once and as soon as I see how it goes with me. And so the first testimony Paul points to now is Timothy. Timothy is called Paul's son in the faith because Paul led Timothy to, to the Lord. Timothy grew up in an interesting home. It was a, a, a split home. His mother was Jewish. His father was a Gentile, a, a pagan Greek. But yet, his mother raised him in the things of the Lord. And later, as Paul came through on one of his missionary journeys, Timothy heard the gospel, he got saved, and he began walking with the Lord. Later, Timothy was called to go on a mission with Paul, and he was actually called to be a missionary, and so he left with Paul and went into the ministry. And he became the right-hand man of Paul as Paul discipled him and trained him. He learned ministry. And Paul was confident that he can send Timothy to them even in their time of, of struggle and to know that Timothy would encourage them in their faith and also, he would give Paul an accurate testimony of, of how the church was doing. Timothy was able to do this because he was like-minded as Paul. In other words, he lived for the same things as Paul. He didn't live for himself, but he lived for Jesus in God's glory. And this, and this character of Timothy was proven over and over and over, even in hard times. He served God faithfully and he was working out his own salvation. And as a result, think about the fruit that came from his life. Timothy was just a normal guy. But yet, because of his heart to surrender to the Lord and to live for Jesus, God was able to do some amazing things through his life. The second was Paul in verse 24. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. Paul was a normal man, just like us. Yes, he was trained as a Pharisee, so he, you know, he was a scholar. But he, yet, he was a sinner who needed God's grace, and Jesus met him on the road and Paul became a believer. What made Paul so dynamic? Because he surrendered to the Lord. He had a desire to serve God, and God's spirit used him as he was willing to give himself over to the Lord and live for, for Jesus' glory. Paul's main desire was if he got free from his prison sentence, 
that he can come to these believers and encourage them in their faith. That's what he wanted to do. He wanted to come to them so he can build them up in his word and come alongside of them so they can help him. Third, we have the testimony of Epaphroditus in verse 25. Yet I consider it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. Since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick, for indeed he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I send him the more eagerly that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less sorrowful. And so Epaphroditus was a normal believer who was saved in Philippi. He was chosen by the church to go out on this missionary journey to take Paul this offering to Rome from Philippi. And sometime, whether it be on the way or whether he got to Rome, this guy got sick and he was sick unto death. I mean, he almost died. And Paul said, if it wasn't for God's mercy, he would have died. Now, by God's mercy, does that mean that he just got better or that he was healed? We're not told. But notice Paul had no control over his sickness, right? Paul wasn't, you know, standing on top of him claiming that, you know, claiming the fact that he was, you know, well and all that. Paul said, hey, man, I, you know, I'm, I'm glad that the Lord showed him mercy and me mercy because if he would have died, I would have sorrow upon sorrow. He already had sorrow of the fact that he was, you know, under arrest and, 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 the, and he couldn't be there with the church, but yet if this believer would have died, he would have had more sorrow. But yet God was gracious and he allowed him to recover from the sickness. And so this guy almost gave his life for desiring to be a servant, just to serve one man, you know, to serve the, the apostle Paul, to take him this offering and also to come alongside of him and minister. Now notice how Paul describes this guy. He was a brother, a fellow worker, a fellow soldier, a messenger, and a minister. And so what a great example of this guy. This, this guy who nobody even knows anything about, but yet because of his humility and his desire to serve the Lord, God was able to do some great things through him. And God's able to do that. You know, we always say that b- before we go to Columbia. You know, we say, here we are, we're just some nobodies from Hanford, right? But God is willing to use us to be a, a part of these people's lives in Colombia who want to take the gospel to the ends of the world. You know, and so it's a humbling thing. And it's nothing about us. It's just about the fact that God wants to use you if you're willing to be used. The eyes of the Lord go to and fro to see, you know, to desire to show himself strong on behalf of his heart or loyal to him. And so God is not looking for those who are able, but those who are willing. And if you're willing, then God will use you. Verse 29, receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service towards me. And so these guys were to esteem him highly. Esteem him highly for what? Well, because of his work. Because he was willing to surrender his life and serve the Lord and bring in this encouragement to Paul to um, bring Paul this this blessing. And so God wants to work in our life. He wants us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, and he's provided for us the power to do it by the spirit who lives in us. We can do it. It's been done before by normal people, and it can be done through you and I by these men who are willing to surrender their lives to the Lord. So let's surrender our lives to the Lord tonight and see what God will do in and through us. Amen?